So we're so glad you guys are here. Let me go ahead and let you know how this is going to work this morning. We're actually going to do, it's going to be three parts. We're going to, might be more in the light here, right? We're going to be doing it in three parts. We're going to talk about our our enemy, who is, what his character is like, what his strategies are like, and Jonathan's going to lead us in that time, understanding our enemy. And that's going to go about a little less than an hour. And then we're going to have a time where we're going to talk about our spiritual armor. And Jerry Bates will come and lead us through Ephesians chapter 6 and how, to, how do we fight the enemy defensively, offensively with the armor. He'll take you know, about an hour, a little less. And then I'm going to do the last part, be about an hour, in which we're going to talk about deliverance and how do we really defeat the enemy is attacks against us and how do we take ground from the enemy and so we're going to talk about deliverance ministry we really how do you cast out demons we're going to get into all those kinds of details from the scriptures and so you'll you know you you really have the kind of training so you, everyone should have a notebook if you don't have the notebook you have those available for the notes and i'm going to go ahead and open us some prayer and then jonathan's going to kick us off so let's go ahead and do that Father, do ask that this time really would be one in which you have your way with your people. Lord, we pray that you really would enable us to not be naive to the schemes of the devil, that we would really be aware of what he is like, what his strategies are, and how to put on the spiritual armor, and how to be more than conquerors in this kingdom. So we pray, Lord, for a release not only of revelation, but I pray, Lord, that this morning would be a release of kingdom power, that we'd realize our spiritual authority and we'd step into it. So, Lord, we pray that you'd have your way now in every way, that you're anointing Ben Jonathan and Jerry and myself as we bring your word, and we pray, Lord, that every one of us would be equipped today because we've been here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to come in, and yeah, you will save yourself a ton of time this morning if you do have a copy of the notes. If you don't have one, I've got some extra copies back there. There's plenty of copies in the foyer, Um, and everything I'm going to be talking about is in there. So what we're going to try and do is cover a whole lot of territory in a quick period of time. Um, and that's sometimes helpful because if you, uh, you can either do a deep dive in Scripture where you spend a lot of time in one chapter, or you can kind of say, what are all the things that Scripture has to say on a certain topic? Um, it's kind of an interesting season, October. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I was driving to the park a couple weeks ago, and um, one of my neighbors had put up this huge exhibit in their front lawn with walking skeletons and, like, red eyeballs. And, um, and I'm in the car with my 4-year-old and 3-year-old and 2-year-old and thinking, what is going on here? Um, and then sometimes I let my kids watch Disney movies. And uh, the one part about a good Disney movie is there's always a monster in there. And so about a week ago, I was praying with my son, David, and he's in bed. And he says, Daddy, I'm, I don't want to go to sleep. I'm afraid of monsters. And this is probably like 8.30, 8.45 at night. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. So I did something I'm not really proud of. And I, I said, son, monsters are not real. Please go to sleep. And I'm not really proud of that because uh, it's really not really a true statement. Now, the cartoon monsters, those are not real, but there are real monsters that have real power and have real weapons and real effects on us. And if we don't acknowledge that, that could be a very dangerous thing. Um, You know, it's interesting, Barna is a, um, 
uh, pollster who goes and talks to Christians and asks them what they think about certain things. And he did a recent survey in 2009 and said, how many self-professing Christians believe that Satan is a real being? And when he asked thousands of Christians that question, 59% said they did not believe Satan was a real being. And then there was a few more undecideds in there. So only a third of the people who responded said that Satan is real. And that's a, that's a real problem because Satan shows up all throughout Scripture. I mean, let's just go to one place in Matthew uh, 4 where it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's a real person. And this is eyewitness testimony of Jesus telling us this because he's the only one in, in the desert at that moment. And at the end of that passage, it says, The devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So in this one passage, we have Jesus affirming the existence of both the devil as a real person and angels as real, literal beings. And, you know, I said earlier this is important because as we go learn in this whole uh, area of Scripture about spiritual warfare is we are born into a conflict that's ongoing, And this conflict has real casualties. And I've had friends and people in my home group and people in church that I have served alongside that are I would now look out and say these are casualties of the war. And some of it is because they did not acknowledge the reality that there's a war being fought. So whether you choose to engage with the war or not, you're a part of it. And there are bullets flying around in the spiritual realms, and we have to decide, are we going to be on God's side and fight for him? Or are we going to try and hide out and hope that we don't get hit by some of the crossfire? So that's what we're going to focus on today. And as uh, Gary said, I'm going to kind of hang out a little bit and talk about who are these invisible beings and, uh, and explore especially our great adversary, Satan. And then Jerry's going to take uh, a lot of effort and talk about the protections that God has freely given to each one of us. You know, my daughter recently was learning how to make spaghetti, and we had a big pot of boiling water. And I said, if you'll put on these gloves, it won't hurt you. She's like, it's hot. I'm afraid. I'm like, just put on the gloves. Trust me. And I had to, like, physically move her hands to the pot. She's like, oh, this isn't so bad. And, and that's really what's going to happen. If we will wear the spiritual armor, we will realize that we have protection against the attacks of the enemy. So that's what Jerry's going to hang out and talk about. And then Gary's going to finish up with deliverance ministry and how we take the battle to the enemy's territory and win. You know, C.S. Lewis um, has, is a very influential author, and he wrote a book about a fictional story of a couple of demons talking called The Screwtape Letters. And this is from the third page of that in that conversation. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I grew up in East Texas, and I've always been kind of an engineering nerd kind of guy with what I can see matters to me. You know, and what I can't see can't hurt me, right? And so I, I just kind of always had that mindset growing up, and so I lived a lot like a materialist rather than recognizing the importance of the spiritual realms. Um, Just to give you a quick illustration of this, um, I took my children to Walmart a couple weeks ago, and my son David, uh, he is always hungry. I don't, he acts like I never feed the boy. It's crazy. I'm like, I feed you all the time. So we're in Walmart, and he spots an M&M that is rolled under a counter near the bathroom door, 
And I'm like, I, I see what's going to happen before he goes. I'm like, please don't. And he's reaching for it, and he's got it in his hands. I'm like, drop the M&M. Don't put that in your mouth. And, and I'm saying, trust me, what you can't see can hurt you. Trust me in this. And he's like, it's red. It's beautiful. I can, I can eat this. I don't see anything wrong with this. This is the same boy who will be at the dinner table with like the, the eggs that I put in. He'll find a piece of grass and say, I can't eat the whole thing. I can spot a piece of grass in here. I, I'm, it's all gone because he's trusting in what his eyes can see. And so we have got to be a little careful as we go through these scriptures, as we hear Jesus' words about the invisible war, realize this is a very real world. Even though our eyes can't always see it, it's very real. It has very real impact on our physical reality. So let's start talking, dive into the notes here, talking about angels. Um, So angels, as we just heard from Jesus, are real beings. Let's kind of explore who are these beings. So in Colossians 1.16, we see, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So since we know angels are beings, we know that they were one of the invisible beings that God created. We don't know exactly when he created them, uh, but we know he created them sometime uh, before Genesis 3. Um, And there's a lot of similarities between angels and people. So we can kind of connect with some of the commonalities. Uh, Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves in heaven before the Lord, and Satan came with them. So they're referred to as sons of God. We are referred to as sons of God. Um, You know, they're intelligent and can learn. We see this in 1 Peter 1.12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves But you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. They love to learn more about God. They love to see God's ways. They are intelligent creatures, very intelligent creatures. Um, They communicate intelligently. When we see them coming as messengers, they communicate very succinctly and powerfully when they speak for God, as we see in Matthew 28, 5. Um, They have a will. We're going to come to find out as we're learning about angels that uh, some of them chose to rebel against God just like we have chosen to rebel against God. It says this in Jude 1.6, And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. And so they have a free will just like we have a free will. Another thing is they're immortal. You know, it's kind of a weird to think that we're immortal. Uh, immortal just means that we will live forever in some form. When God, we have a beginning, and angels had a beginning, but when you die, that's not the end of the story, is you either go to heaven or you go to hell, but you keep going. And so there is, there's never a time where you will cease to exist once God has created you. So that's what it means by they're immortal. It says they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Angels have great power. You know, we see in the Psalms, David talk about angels. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. 
You know, I was over helping Bruce move some furniture recently, and the family was kidding about my lack of physical strength. And I'm like trying to pick up this thing. And, and they're like, do you like need three or four people to help you on that side? And I'm like, oh, I wish I had stronger muscles. And you think an angel just rolled this huge stone away when Jesus was resurrected. And they can do all sorts of powerful things. And when they show up on the scene, uh, many times you have to say, do not be afraid. So these are powerful, mighty invisible beings who are intelligent and are very similar to us in in a lot of those ways. They have great glory. So this is a difference in mankind. You know, when, when angels, you know, we someday will have great glory in our glorified bodies, but today I'm just kind of here. You look at me in the mirror. I'm like, this is all you get. You know, it's just me. It's Jonathan. Angels, when they show up, they have great glory. It says, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. That's an amazingly powerful image that they got to see when they went to the tomb. Another difference uh, from mankind is angels are very beautiful. You know, your, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. It talks about Ezekiel. We're going to see some more about this passage. But when God made the angels, he made them as beautiful creatures. Angels can perform miracles. This is uh, another amazing thing. I would love to do miracles someday. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do have access to miracles. But angels seem to have this power given them to do miracles. It says, they struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness. Just, I don't know if they just snapped their fingers or what they did, but immediately, both small and great, all the men, they were just trying to find their way around because they couldn't see anymore. That's a powerful being. That's amazing. And angels are spirits. Even though we sometimes can see them, they, they can take on physical form. They're primarily spirits. See, we're primarily physical combined with spirits. So we're a complex relation between the two. Angels are primarily spirit, even though they can show up and manifest like a physical body. So that's kind of gives you a feel of, of, of kind of angels. Another difference is I, I have a hard time thinking of myself not as a masculine person. You know, I'm a guy, think of myself as a man. My wife thinks of herself as female. So that's just part of how we think. Angels don't have this male-female thing going on. Um, they don't get married. They're not thinking of the ways. When they show up, they generally show up as men. Um, but they're not male and female like humans. That's another difference. God just created that species differently than he created us. There's different kinds of angels. Um, There's uh, ones with different number of wings. There's ones with different number of faces, ones with uh, different purposes and roles. And, you know, we just see some of them here from the archangel to the cherubim, seraphim, living creatures, and guardian angels. Those really do exist. You know, especially for children, there are, there are guardian angels that, that God sets for us to, uh, to protect us. So that just kind of gives you a feel of where we're going with, with angels. So you see just the breadth of scriptures here. We, we've gone from Genesis to Revelation to Jesus in the Gospels, and there's tons of times where we see angels. So this is a reality that sometimes in the Western world we, we don't embrace quite as uh, strongly as we should. You know, this is something that all the, the, the biblical authors affirmed. So it's important as we think about this um, that there's a spiritual reality and there's a, a physical reality, but both are equally as real. Um, this is a, an example. Um, I wanted just to throw this out there. Um, it says, James 4.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You know, when when I read that verse, I used to think, well, that healing it's talking about, that's that emotional, invisible, not real healing. And this is a complex verse that's going to take some time to get into. We're not going to spend time today. But I want you to realize as we read it, there's an invisible reality and a visible reality. So it's talking about invisible healing, like emotional healing and spiritual healing from emotional wounds. Uh, But it's also talking about physical healing. So we're about to, to flip over and read some Isaiah And I think it's important as we read Isaiah, we realize that Isaiah the prophet is not separating this physical world and the invisible world. He's combining them when he talks about things like kings and nations and things like that. So let's let's learn a little bit about Satan, who is an angelic being, one of the class. um, We'll find out that he's probably of the class of cherubim kind of angel. And let's, let's learn a little bit about him. So this is Isaiah prophesying against the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14, 12. And he's actually talking in something that's straight to the king of Babylon. But just like there's a physical king, there's an invisible spiritual ruler behind the king. And Isaiah the prophet sees both in view here, and is going to talk to both the literal king of Babylon as well as behind him, Satan. And we can learn some things about Satan and his fall from this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That is an ambitious claim, to say the least. That is, that is what truly was in Satan's heart when he rebelled against God. And you see this all through the Babylonian Empire, where they, where they talk in just strong statements about how they are the ones that are the most high, the most important being, not the God of the universe. So at some point in the past, we don't know when this happened, sometime prior to Genesis 3, sometime after angels were created, Satan has this heart of pride because he's such a beautiful being. And he goes and he gathers as many as will listen to him and says, let me be the God of heaven. And he revolts and rebels against God. I don't know why he thought he would win this battle, but something in him just was really corrupted and he thought he could. So at that point, the God Most High um, wins the battle and casts him out of heaven. And when Satan rebels, he takes about a third of the angels with him, and those are called demons. So when we see demons in Scripture, those are fallen angels, just like Satan is a fallen angel, and Satan is the head of the demons. And then at that point on, throughout the whole Scriptures, we have this ongoing fighting battle, this invisible war between the God Most High and Satan, where Satan is trying to thwart God at every turn. In Genesis 3, we see he successfully tempts Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. And so Satan wanted to be king of heaven, and he lost that. But because of Adam's sin, he still got a kingdom, and he is king of earth. And we'll see that in 1 John five nineteen. It says that he is the king of this earth. 
So it's interesting. Um, let, let's let's kind of read. So we've got this whole Old Testament time where Satan is ruling, but God has not forgotten his people. And so finally we get to the point where Jesus comes. And, um, and, and Jesus says, I am going to beat Satan in Satan's territory. So he invades like D-Day, comes as a baby, walks this earth sinlessly, and we read a little bit in the Matthew 4 passage where Satan is trying to get him off track, and he resists those temptations and every temptation. And then finally, we read this in Colossians 2.14, talking about um, this reality of the kingdom of God coming on top of the kingdom of Satan. So Colossians 2.14 says this, Because of what Jesus did on the cross, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So there's a lot going on here. Um, Satan is very smart. He knows that God is holy and God is just. And God has said that the wages of sin is death. And so what he does is he catalogs all our sin, some of which he is very instrumental in helping us do. And he, and he catalogs all that and says, God, do you see what kind of a sinner Jonathan is? And so he has decrees saying, it is fine if I want to hurt him, if I want to kill him, if I want to destroy him, if I have a decree against him, then, then it's within my right as king of earth to do what I want with sinners, right? Because you've said that. And what Jesus did on the cross for the very first time is he canceled out those decrees against us, which were hostile to us, and took them away. So having disarmed Satan's rightful ability to come after us, which is an amazing thing when you consider how powerful, and this is a mighty being with great creativity and great evil, And then he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them when he rose from the dead, having triumphed over them. So when he rose from the dead with the keys of death and Hades, he's saying, I am greater than all this. So then here's the question, right? If this is true, why is there even a struggle? If he's disarmed the rulers and authorities, if he's won the final battle, why is it that I still have friends and people getting hurt and destroyed in this crossfire. And that is what is really at the heart of what we're talking about today. And it comes to this whole theological concept called now and not yet. So there is a reality that God has um, done some things that are true, but then there's some things we still in the future will fully experience. Um, So the way I like to phrase it is because of Jesus' work on the cross, we now experience some of the benefits of the kingdom. But we're going to experience all of them, and it is guaranteed we're going to experience all of them. So um, here's an example that we use a lot in church. Are you a child of God? I tell my children, you are such a sweet child of God. And, and the question, so are you a child of God? Real question, yes or no? Yes, you are a child of God. Do you always look like an amazing, beautiful child of God? Always, there you go. Always. So this is a very important scripture in 1 John 3, 2 that I'm just always reminded of. I'm a work in process, but it says this. We are children of God. That's a present reality. I am a child of God. Present reality. And it has not appeared yet as what that looks like. I'm a child of God. I surely am going to 
change some stuff before I'm finally declared finished, right? And it says, we know that when he appears at that point, we will be like him and we'll see him just as he is. So there's a now and not yet here. We are now children of God, but we have not yet fully experienced what that means to be a a child of God with all the benefits that go with being a child of God. So that is what's true when it comes to the kingdom of God. We are now members and citizens of the kingdom of God, and we get certain benefits right now if we choose to go after them as members of the kingdom of God. And that's wonderful. Um, What we uh, don't get is all the benefits because Satan is still writhing around. There's some things that have still not fully been taken away from him. So that's the great struggle. And that's why we have this this key passage um, that we're going to hear a lot from today. To be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Because we, he is disarmed, but he's not fully disarmed yet. He still has some, some power left, and we need to stand firm in God's protection against those schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against um, presidents and kings and, and these physical realities. Sometimes we get caught up so much in the physical reality, the king of Babylon. We get so much caught up in that, we forget the invisible, very real, powerful war going on behind the scenes. The struggle is against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where the struggle is. And we need to make sure we're fighting spiritual war with spiritual weapons. So uh, I want to say one quick thing before we jump into the names of Satan. Um, There is something that's happening right now. And it's this restraining effect on Satan. So Satan wants to destroy. He wants to thwart. He wants to kill. He, he wants to do all these things we're going to learn about him. Um, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6-7, there is this passage and talks about how there is a uh, he who restrains on the forces of darkness. And I, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but I, I do think it's some combination of the Holy Spirit and Christians being used by the Holy Spirit that we act in this struggle as a restraining influence on the forces of darkness here in Arlington. And when we go overseas as overseas workers, when we go to different realms, we are God's restraining influence over what Satan wants to do wherever we go as bearers of the kingdom of God. So it's comforting to me that we are about to head into some dark things here, talking about Satan's character, talking about his strategies, realizing that God is not just letting him run free, that he is instead using us and using his direct power to restrain what he's able to do, at least for a time. So let's learn a little bit about Satan. Uh, his position, these are, these are phrases talking about his position. You know, he's the anointed cherub who covers. You talked about being, him being a cherubim, uh, one of the highest classes, most powerful of the angels. Prince of this world, he still claims that title. And for those who don't follow Jesus, whose decrees have not been taken off of them, they still are citizens of his kingdom. The prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, the prince of demons. He is the main adversary that we fight, although he has many, many, many demons out there. Lucifer, star of the morning, 
Satan, devil, old serpent. If you look at Genesis 3, the serpent that tempts Adam, that's the old serpent referred to in Revelation. The great dragon, the evil one, the destroyer. See, one of the things that, um, because I'm so used to sin, I think I forget because sin is just part of, I mean, I, I can't go a day without sinning, whether it's a sin of pride or a sin of anger or something. I just forget sometimes that it's through sin that Satan got to do all these things. You know, it's through sin that he is really allowed to destroy. It's through the sin of the garden even that he's allowed to bring disease and hardship and heartache. And, and it makes me realize that's why God hates sin so much, because of all the hardship that comes with sin. These are some of the, the names of Satan referring to his activity that's going on on earth like today. So he is the tempter. So sometimes we're tempted just because of our own flesh, but sometimes we're tempted because he is actively trying to get us to trip up, and we'll find out later why that's a big problem. But he is actively tempting us, and so we need to know that. When you get a thought in your brain, that might not be from you. And we might need to take that thought captive and do something else with it. He is the great deceiver. We have so much deception uh, in this country and around the world. I look at some of the great deceptions, uh, counterfeit gospels, counterfeit Christianity, counterfeit religions that maraud, you know, that mask themselves as being the real thing. You know, when you look at Islam and you look at how much was counterfeited off Christianity. It's amazing. And whoever created that religion was brilliant in its deception, and it's captured over a billion people. Um, he is the great accuser, and, you know, we see this in Job especially, uh, but he is, he is the one who says, that guy has sin in his life. And, and unless we have Jesus' blood to respond, he's the great accuser. Even if we have Jesus' blood, he still tries to accuse us. And we still have to reject that from him. He is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. You know, we see that in Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh, um, he, he kept disobeying God and, and, and God finally hardened his heart. And I think Satan just had a field day with Pharaoh at that point. Satan is behind the scenes saying, oh, you want to run from God? Let me give you some great ideas of how you can run from God. Let me give you some great ideas how you can cause destruction. Let me, let, me, let me help your creativity if you don't have enough going on here. I want to help you. He works in the sons of disobedience. Descriptions of his character, murder, liar. I mean, you says, as you're just reading these things, you're just thinking, man, you know, um, this is why it's not good to obsess too much, go to too many spiritual warfare classes, you know, watch too many, you know, things of, of demons manifesting and stuff, because it's just dark. This is a dark creature that is out to get us. Murder is a horrific thing. Liar. I mean, all the lies that we see, he loves that. It just makes him so happy. He gives the, you know, it's the biggest joy of that. He's highly intelligent, very persistent. You know, we, we read about the persistent widow and, and Satan. You know, you, you stand firm once, he might come back again, and he might come back again. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, Tom, he resisted me that one time three years ago, so I'm never, never going to tempt him that way again. No, he's like, man, I, I'm going I'm to keep going because eventually maybe I'll get through the armor. He's very persistent. He's very violent and loves violence, and it's something that I think we have to be careful about in our culture. We have a very violent culture. 
um, just with the media and video games, and he loves that violence, and we have to be careful of that. So we're going to get a little into his strategies, how he works. I was over in uh, India in the spring, and um, I was just walking through uh, the temple, and I saw this picture of a calf. I was like, wow, that's really a calf. I've read about like an idol that's a calf in the Bible, and that's really one right there. And some of his strategies over there are all about fear and power. So I was trying to figure out, like, I went to this temple, and it was the darkest place ever. And I was like, man, you know, this place is just dark. It's just dingy. There's burnt offerings. There's just ick everywhere. I'm like, why would people come here? There's no flowers. There's no music as you walk in. There's no, you know, beautiful sanctuary. There's no people laughing. I mean, it, it was one of the darkest things I've ever done. And so I asked my friend who lives there, he said, well, the reason why they come is they're afraid of all the gods and they just want to appease them so that they don't get destroyed. He said, that is the great, they're not trying to attract you to come. They're just trying to say, if you'll come and do your, your stuff, then maybe this God over here won't be upset with you and destroy your crops, destroy your health, destroy your family. And that's one of Satan's great deceptions with idols. I thought, well, you know, man, I'm just so glad we don't have idols in America. You know, I'm just so glad that that happens because, I, you know, and I'm picking a little bit on, on this show, but I'm thinking, we have our own versions of these. I just don't notice them as much, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I just think about some of our idols when it comes to sports sometimes, when it comes to celebrities sometimes, when it comes to we have our own versions of these idols. Uh, there was a picture I saw of this group who had been in line for seven days to get a gl- catch a glimpse of this actor walk into their premiere of the movie. And I thought, this is crazy. This is idol worship at some point is what's going on here. And Satan loves that. <coughs> you know, he loves to counterfeit God's system of truth. And as you go to your notes... You'll see some of the ways that Satan works, deceiving the nations, deceiving the righteous. You know, he, he's uh, into accusing and slandering. You know, if you go to the web and Google any Christian leader, any one of them that has any notoriety at all, you'll see a list of slanders against that leader. And they're always by these websites trying to say we're the only true thing. And, and it's just gotten really bad. Like, I just really feel sad for some of our, our Christian teachers in America now because you say one wrong thing 18 years ago, and you're just blasted for the rest of your life on the web. And, and Satan loves that slander and accusatory thing. Um, he loves to attack our minds and our bodies. And you look at Job and that story, his health was hindered because of a satanic attack. So when you think, okay, so, so like my mom has cancer, is that Satan? Is that not Satan? I don't know, but I know that it could be. And so I need to make sure that I don't exclude the invisible world when I think about physical realities like my mom's cancer. So when I'm praying for my mom's cancer, I'm thinking, okay, God, I want to pray for doctors in physical wisdom, but I'm at the same time praying against any scheme of the enemy to go after one of God's daughters, my mom. And that's how we need to think about, as we're, as we're doing some, talking about some of his schemes, these are real things that he really does to us today, where he tempts to lie, tempts for us to take pride in spiritual matters, tempts us to discouragement, um, tempts us to, uh, to not get involved in ministry. He prevents acceptance of truth. 
You know, we read that parable of the uh, sower where Satan comes along and snatches away the gospel. And that happens. You know, I, I share uh, something about God with one of my old coworkers at, at Alvarez and Marsal, and I'm sharing that with them. And then immediately afterwards, I could see them get distracted, go on a week-long trip overseas, come back, and they've completely forgotten. Satan has plucked back all the stuff that we had talked about. And I realized I need to pray specifically that he's not allowed to do some of these things. He's not allowed to blind people to the gospel. You know, we were handing out waters this week, um, sermon evangelism, inviting people to come to glow in the dark. And it's amazing how many people won't take a free water. I'm like, no donations accepted. You know, I'm handing you a water, no strings attached. I just want you to have an ice cold water on a hot day. And it's amazing how many people won't say yes to that. Um, even more so, it's amazing when you hear the gospel and people say, I don't want any part of that. It's amazing. How could you not want any part of that? It's such good news. It's because Satan has blinded the eyes physically and in the intellect against hearing the gospel. And he doesn't stay just out there. He infiltrates the church. And he sends people that care more about themselves than they care about God. And he sends false teachers and encourages their work and false disciples. And he promotes division. It's one of the reasons why it's so important as a church that when we have conflict, we handle it according to God's ways, because Satan loves stirring up stuff. He loves putting horns on people in the pew and say, you know, that, that Ron over there, man, he, he really doesn't like you very much, and, and just starts to whisper some things. If we don't capture that quickly and, and, and say, man, you know, I, I really do like you. You know, you're a great guy, and just like, man, we're on the same team here. If we're not careful, Satan will stir up division in a church and will try to destroy it and, uh, th- and just destroy it from within. He incites persecution, some of the most horrible, violent persecution I've ever witnessed. Uh, I'm seeing overseas with ISIS right now. I mean, I- I've never seen anything like this. This is horrible. I mean, I read about it in the Roman Empire days, but nothing in modern times. And, and I just see Satan being definitely behind the heart of what's going on overseas. And he also, he plants doubt. And one of the greatest doubts that he plants is this doubt that God is good. And if we will just, just grab that one and, and not fall into that one hole, that will get us out of so much trouble. See, what happened in the Garden of Eden was um, Satan said, God doesn't really want what's best for you. Let me talk to you about this fruit over here that'll make you like me, one of the sons of God, one of the spiritual beings, knowing good and evil. Don't you want to be like me? And he tempted Adam and Eve, and he went after God's character. And so when God says things like, don't have sex outside of marriage, or when God says things like, don't let the sun go down in your anger, or all these different instructions he gives us, it's not because he is the cosmic killjoy. It's not because he is trying to keep something good from us. It's the opposite. It's like me telling my daughter, put on gloves before you grab the boiling water making your pasta. It's because I love you and I care about you. And Satan desperately wants to plant doubt in us that if God doesn't move in our timing or if God doesn't move in our time frame uh, or do it the way we want to do it, that he may have forgotten about us or he doesn't really love us after all. And that straight from his heart, and God says that's not true. So who are Satan's allies here? Satan's allies are the world, and we see it all around us, and he stirs some of it up, and just it's, it's the world we live in.
The flesh, that's the part of us that's unredeemed. You know, I hear some people say, you know, that wasn't me yelling at my child. That was my flesh. And I think to myself, no, that was me. That was, that was, that was me. That's, I still have some unredeemed parts of me that I'm handing over to God and say, that part of me needs to change. And I need to own that as a part of me. And I need to say, God, change this in me. So my flesh gets less and less every day uh, because the flesh is allied against um, the devil. And God's, God's crucified my flesh with him. So I should experience some present benefits of having my flesh being crucified with Christ. So, um, so we should see this change happening. And of course, Satan's allies are all the demons. Satan can't be everywhere at once. Um, so he's not everywhere at once. He probably hasn't checked in on me in a long time, if ever. But he has many demons that he can say, I want you guys to go hang out at Grace for a while. I want you guys to go hang out at, at Rush Creek for a while. Go hang out at these different churches. I want you guys to go overseas, stir up some trouble in Iraq. And he is manning his army, sending them out to come after us. So after all of that kind of real joy-filled hanging out with, with scriptures, I want to leave us with the final end of Satan. This is what we read at the end of Revelation, Revelation 20. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he has been judged. He has been defeated. And we are going to experience some of the victory of that now. When I stand and resist the devil, I do get to resist him and win that. And also, in the future, I know he is going to be cast into hell forever. And so there will be a final defeat of him. Um, I do want to just uh, point out a couple of those more resources. Gary in August preached a sermon on angels where he kind of went into great detail about all the scriptures on angels. So that's on our website, and I've got a link in your notes to that if you want to check that out. Um, and then as well as there's a couple books and things in there if you're interested in some of this. But um, let me just pray for us, and we're going to take a short five-minute break. I'm going to hand it off to Jerry, and, uh, and then we'll move on to session two. So... God, I just thank you that you have revealed to us. If you didn't tell us about the invisible world, I'm not sure I would believe it. I'm not sure I would believe in the existence of these powerful, powerful realities that affect our physical realm. So thank you for over and over again giving us so much information and so many stories about Satan and what he wants for me and, and this invisible war with rulers and telling me where the real struggle is, that the struggle is against these invisible and dark powers of this age. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I do pray that uh, if anyone came in here just kind of being a materialist like I used to be, I pray that you would just now open all of our eyes to see the times when Satan is behind that disease, when Satan is behind that obstruction, when Satan is behind that mission trip being canceled. I pray that you would open our eyes to see that. And I pray that as we walk and learn more this morning, that you would make us more and more powerful in the spiritual realms, shouldering the armor that you've given us, and that Satan would be afraid at what we could do as a church and as Christians armed with your weapons in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.